Hello, and welcome to the Green Book Commentaries podcast. I'm Dr. Arthur Plessa, Volume 14, Episode 22, Innate the Tyrant. Doctors of chiropractic and student initiates, welcome back and thank you for joining me. Last time, we finished the sophomore section of Volume 14, and with that, completed all the various cycles that occur within and between tissue cells. If you didn't have an appreciation for the complexity of the nervous system and how it harmonizes all tissue cells to work in unison, then I'm sure you do now. As we begin the junior section, we shift our attention to an understanding comparison between normality and abnormality. We also begin our study of learning the practical applications of the principles of chiropractic that have been reviewed in the freshman and sophomore sections. Those first two sections laid the foundation upon which our future episodes will develop from. So with that, today's episode will be a bit of a shorter one as our reading only consists of two pages in this current chapter. However, it is packed with quality material. Let's begin by discussing some chiropractic terminology in today's reading that may be new to some students and practicing chiropractors. In today's episode, Dr. Stevenson writes about the Merrick system as well as the major method. The Merrick system was the first analysis outside of palpation used to detect subluxations. It was developed by B.J. Palmer and introduced to the profession in 1906. The word Merrick comes from the word mirror, referring to a specific location of the spine. So here's how a chiropractor would use the Merrick system to determine which segment was subluxated and in need of an adjustment. A patient would tell the chiropractor what condition they were suffering from. If the patient had a heart condition, like hypertension, the chiropractor would trace the spinal nerve from the heart back to its exit point at the spinal IVF. In the case of the heart, its spinal nerve can be traced back to T2. The chiropractor would then begin adjustments on a regular schedule until the condition either improved or resolved. While this method did not work all the time, it was a significant improvement from palpation. While Merrick's system helped chiropractors better locate the level of subluxation, the analysis had one obvious problem. It could not reveal when a subluxation was present after a patient's first adjustment. So when a patient returned for subsequent checkups, they would be adjusted each and every time until the condition either improved or resolved. But what if the subluxation hadn't returned? What if the subluxation actually remained in alignment? The idea back before instrumentation was introduced in 1924 was that adjustments always do good for the body and are needed until a health condition get better. As we know now, subluxations can remain in alignment for days, weeks, months, and even years. So what was occurring when a chiropractor would adjust a spine without any subluxations present, 
believing, in fact, a subluxation was present. The chiropractor was actually causing subluxations. I know, I know. Some of you don't believe a good intention adjustment can ever do harm. However, consider this. The same force from a sudden fall upon a hard surface has the same effect upon a vertebra as your well-thought-out adjustment. It moves and shifts the vertebra from point A to point B, right? And it cares little for the feelings you put into an adjustment, but rather is more concerned when and what method used to adjust that subluxation. With that, let's discuss the second terminology used in today's episode, which may be new to some. The major method. This is short for majors and minors, which was another subluxation analysis developed by B.J. Palmer to supplement the Merrick system. If you'll recall, the Merrick system located the subluxation that was causing a specific condition and connected that to a specific vertebra and spinal nerve. However, rarely do patients present with only one condition, right? If a patient had migraines, heart problems, and stomach issues, the Merrick system would point to three possible subluxations, likely atlas, T2, and T6. Well, that seems logical, you say, and it's very likely most of you practice using this method. However, remember the compensatory cycles from the sophomore section? Yes, it will come back and bite you in the sacrum if you don't understand its implications. Briefly, other tissue cells not affected by subluxation will compensate for the tissue cells which are affected by subluxation, therefore creating secondary conditions that will only resolve once the primary condition has resolved by adjusting the causative subluxation. Wow, that was a mouthful. So let's apply this to the previous example of a subluxation at Atlas, T2, and T6. With the, with the conditions of migraines, tachycardia, and stomach, nausea, and pain. Out of those three segments, let's say C1 was the causative subluxation. The patient gets migraines due to cord pressure from an atlas subluxation. This, in turn, causes a nauseous feeling in the stomach, which is often accompanied by pain. Nausea and pain will cause the heart to beat faster in an effort to bring nutrition and oxygen to the affected area. So where it appears that there are three separate conditions with three separate subluxations, in fact, there is only one subluxation with one condition accompanied by two compensatory conditions. Using the majors and minors analysis, the chiropractor would adjust only the segment of the condition that was considered to be the most injurious to a patient's health. While this improved patient results from only using the Merrick system alone, it did have two major variables that were left unchecked. First, like the Merrick system, it could only point to the possible location of a subluxation, but not when the subluxation had returned. Second, it relied completely upon symptomatology and a chiropractor's best educated guess 
of which segment was the causative subluxation and which were completely compensatory. However, despite the limitations of Merrick and majors and minors, the principle was firmly established, which revealed less segments to adjust, less adjustments per segment, better results. This principle is what, refi is what was refined with the introduction of instrumentation in the 1920s and finally codified into a workable science with the development of upper cervical specific in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s in the B.J. Palmer Research Clinic. So, now that we have a better understanding of the terminology of these two forms of subluxation analysis, let's develop the idea of innate the tyrant. In today's world, the word tyrant has a lot of negative connotation, with most associating a tyrant with an evil despot who ensnares and enslaves the people. However, the word tyrant comes to us from the ancient Greeks. It was a political position held by one person, primarily during times of war, and was used to cut through all the red tape of bureaucracy, especially when unison of action was needed to overcome great conflicts. A tyrant's concern was always for the greater good, and was willing to make small sacrifices in order to accomplish this. So let's connect all this to innate then, shall we? Innate is aware of all the needs and demands of each and every tissue cell. Innate uses the brain, a physical manifestation of tissue cells, which receive mental impulses and then transmit that energy down the spinal cord to meet the energy demands of the body. As this energy moves down and out through the spinal nerve, it passes through numerous ganglia, which is a collection of neurons outside of the central nervous system. These ganglia are like many brains which direct mental impulses to specific tissue cells. During BJ's time, especially during the writing of Volume 14 in the 1920s, medicine taught that ganglia functioned independently of the brain. This idea would have the human body riddled with many brains, all working independently of each other and of the main brain within the cranium. In turn, this is a violation of what we now know as the brain being the receiver and transmitter of mental impulses and ganglia functioning as merely relay centers between the spine and the body. As innate is a single entity, the brain is a single entity used to conduct a symphony of tissue cells in the harmony of health. When we return from our break, we'll begin with Volume 14, Chiropractic Textbook. Welcome back. We now begin our reading from Volume 14, page 159. Junior Section, Article 208, Introduction. The junior textbook consists of the explanation of normality and abnormality and the practical application of principles 
and analysis. These embrace the study of the Merrick system, function, abnormal function, dis-ease, pathology, compensatory adaptation, equations, major methods, analysis, and etiology. As a basis for this, the freshman textbook explained the normal working of innate intelligence in the body and the natural laws, as presented a number of fundamental principles. This was built upon as a further preparation for junior work by the sophomore textbook, which took up the study of cycles and the condition of matter. It embraced condition, one of the main factors of major methods. Article 209, The Brain, The Center. Reference, Volume 9. The brain is an organ of nervous tissue located in the cranial cavity. It is used by innate as the headquarters of control. It is the central point of coordination. It is the clearinghouse for the operation of the law of demand and supply. All the mental force transmitted to tissue cells is sent from the brain. There are no substitutions or tributary brains as ganglia. The brain is the one mathematically absolute place from which innate governs the body and coordinates all its actions. A body with subsidiary brains, supposing that such a one existed, could not have perfect coordination. For while the subdivisions might have harmony within themselves, they would be cut partially off from one unitary management, which is the only way for 100% management as regards the whole body. All nations recognize this fact, for in times of stress, as in war, the management is put into the hands of one person in order to obtain perfect coordination. In the United States, the president becomes commander-in-chief in time of war. Subsidiary brains, or more than one point of control, make for individuality of parts. More individuality means less cooperation less mutuality. It is a law that shows itself in the character of people and in nations. In order to have perfect coordination, which is perfect coordination of parts, to make a perfect organization, one manager must have all the reins in hand and control from one point, every detail of function. Of course, the manager must be perfect if this great natural principle is to apply to a nation, a community, or a body. Such control is not thought to be best for nations, except in time of war, because, not because the principle is bad, but because the human managers may be. In the body, though, there is not this difficulty, for innate is a perfect manager and is always virtuous. She controls from one point, the brain. There is no question there is a good, bad, or indifferent manager of the body. Innate is always 100% quality, perfect. Article 210, Innate Brain. That part of the brain used by innate as an organ in which to assemble universal forces into foreruns. It is supplied with mental impulses 
directly from innate intelligence, whose headquarters it is. For that reason, it is a vital spot and cannot be diseased. Its existence is actual, but its location is theoretical. There is no transmission of mental impulses from innate intelligence to innate brain. There is no necessity for it, innate being right there. Therefore, it always has 100% mental impulses. This being true, it has perfect function, perfect metabolism, and never has incoordination. It does not assimilate poisons from the serous stream, which other tissues with less than perfect supply of mental impulses do, when they depend upon imperfect transmission. It can, of course, be damaged by trauma as any other tissue. A virulent poison can penetrate it, in spite of its resistance. If it is damaged by trauma, is poisoned, is subject to anemia, lack of blood and nutriment, death speedily ensues, for it will not endure dis-ease or injury. Although innate's management is nothing short of miraculous, she is, after all, limited in what she can do on account of the limitations of matter. Thank you for joining me for another episode. I'm Dr. Arthur Plessa. This has been the Green Book Commentaries Podcast.